0: All right, it's great to be up here with the train and hopefully uh, serves as a reminder to help us keep our uh, thoughts and our focus on track as we, that comes from Marcy by the way. I give her credit or blame, take your pick. It is totally out of steam, uh, uh, oh, speaking, which reminds me, um, that, I don't know if you saw this in the news, the CEO of IKEA has just been elected Prime Minister of Sweden. Uh, Right now he's putting together his cabinet. I've already told that joke twice this week. I'm just getting all the mileage I can out of that dad joke three times. If uh, If you have any better dad jokes, please email them to me, I'm desperate. I need all the help I can get. I want to thank um, Victoria again for bringing your tambourine this morning. Victoria, where are you? In the house. Uh, You need to uh, develop some more tambourine talent and gifts in the sanctuary. We could use it, that's awesome. Uh, If you're at home, there is nothing like, uh, we're glad you're at home, we're glad you're worshiping with us online. Uh, Not everyone's able to be here. Not everyone's ready to be here. Not everyone's comfortable being here. We're okay with that. But having said that, there's nothing like being in the house. Uh, And having uh, our spirits united with God's spirit and worship, there's really uh, no equivalent replacement online, in my opinion. I'm glad you're able to join us. I'm glad that we have live stream. Thankful for the internet and all of that. Uh, invite you back when you're ready, when you can. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. If you're, uh, if you're at home, I want to say this one more thing too. Uh, if you're at home and uh, you never check in, and you remain incognito anonymous, uh, you do regularly, always, sometimes. I want to invite you to, for the first time ever, maybe check in in the comment section, uh, the YouTube chat this morning, say hi, let us know that you were here. That'll help us connect with you, to know that you were here for Deacon follow-up and a variety of other things. If you'd rather not go public in that way with that, send us an email to info at fpcsm.org or use the, uh, the Connect tab in the upper left-hand corner of our website just to connect with us, just to let us know that you're here so that we can care for you and extend to you uh, the love and the fellowship of God in different ways. We're continuing this morning with our journey through the Gospel of Mark. We've been at it for a long time, and yet we're not even halfway through this amazing book. I hope you're finding ways to remember what we're talking about on Sunday mornings and to cement those things in your mind, and so through that, apply them in your lives. Uh, This week, I saw this little image on social media, and I thought, oh, that describes me. My brain has way too many tabs open. Four of them are frozen, and I have no idea where the music is coming from. Anyone ever feel that way? Ever have that experience? It's like overload? Okay. Uh, I know that you some some of you take notes on Sunday mornings. Others of you discuss and process what we're talking about here in the sanctuary and life groups after worship. Both of those are great ways to help you remember and apply what we're talking about here. Uh, that's good. That's our hope. Uh, by going through a, a book of the Bible, passage by passage, verse by verse, we hopefully get as clear of an understanding as possible and as big picture as holistic of a picture as we can uh, of what the gospel writer, in this case Mark, intends intended to communicate about the, revel- the revealed truth of God, the revealed grace of God in all of its fullness. A person is inevitably going to miss some of that and misunderstand part of that when not reading a book in its context, in its fullness, straight through. He or she will only get parts and snippets, so I encourage you to go back, listen, not because I'm a great preacher or any of us are great preachers, but so for the sake of continuity to pick up all that the scriptures have uh, in all of its fullness with with context, not piecemeal, uh, get the big picture. Such a reading of the study of uh, Mark uh, gives one a well-rounded understanding of God's good news, of uh, who Jesus was, not just in bits and pieces, of who God's kingdom, of the whole picture about what Jesus was like. Frequently, we take little snippets, the parts we like, the things that people talk about the most, and focus on those. Uh, Let's go through Uh, the whole gospel together as you're able to keep up and digest it however you can so that we can fully understand Jesus, God, God's kingdom, what God has for us in this life about faith, about relationships, the fullness of what God wanted. The gospel of Mark is about 15,000 words. That's it. It's not a lot. You can read through it every day if you wanted to. It's like a long essay, but it is full It is uh, like a well that doesn't have a bottom. And uh, it's okay to just dip into it periodically, but to dip into it regularly will be a rich experience. The Gospel of Mark is, I would say, I'm going to go out on a little limb here, but not too big of one, and say one of the most important pieces of literature in human history. It's the first and the shortest of the Gospels, but it's also uh, one of two primary sources for Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, it is compact, and through it, God has brought about incredible change, transformation, life in the world and in human history by those and in those and through those who have understood Jesus through what Mark penned. Human history, without a doubt, has been shaped by the gospel of Mark, and by God's grace, may we also be shaped in such a way. Uh, To that end, let's pray one more time. Pray with me. God, help us to uh, be open, to set aside the things that would distract or limit uh, our, in our minds, uh, our ingestion of what you would have us hear, know, see, become, embrace, and live. We love your truth. We love your grace. We feed on and feast on your words and your word. Open our eyes. Give us hearts that are good to receive receive. Uh, help us to see, help us to hear. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any word, may they immediately be forgotten. We pray with hope in Christ the Lord. Amen. So uh, last week, we uh, looked at the first half of Mark's gospel uh, of chapter seven and kind of zipped through three little different sections all in one Sunday, kind of picked up the pace. We're going to finish chapter Mark quickly uh, this morning. So beginning at chapter, uh, chapter seven, verse 24 of Mark's gospel, listen closely. This is God's word. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at Jesus' feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syria and Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And Jesus took this man aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Aphatha, which means be opened. That's Aramaic and Mark's interpreting. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And here's a map of where Jesus was. Here's a map of where Jesus went. And I added Tyre up there in the upper left corner. Jesus was from Galilee. He spent most of his life and certainly most of his Uh, approximately three years of public ministry in the area of Galilee, you see in the upper part there. He was a Galilean, having grown up in Nazareth, the center or the headquarters. Uh, The focal point of his ministry was a town called Capernaum. Mark tells us in verse 24 that Jesus left the area of Galilee so familiar to him and went to the vicinity of the port city of Tyre outside of Galilee. It's the only time that we are told in any of the Gospels that Jesus, as an adult, left the area that today we call Palestine. Other than going across the Sea of Galilee to the area on the eastern shore of Galilee, known as Decapolis, which was sort of a pseudo-Jewish area, and at least partly Jewish right on the seashore. Other than that trip or two across the big lake, known as the Sea of Galilee, with his fisherman disciples... And other than the time time that Jesus' parents fled Israel, Palestine, when Jesus was just a toddler uh, as refugees fleeing the persecution of Herod, going to Egypt for a time until it was safe and then coming back, Jesus spends all his time in Galilee, occasionally going down to Judah, to Jerusalem. And this is the one time that he leaves that whole area. Mark doesn't tell us why Jesus made this trip. Depending on Jesus' point of departure in Galilee, this could have been as much as 35 miles from Galilee up to Tyre. There was no public transportation. There were no trains. There was no Uber. They didn't have horses. They didn't have a carriage. Jesus walked. There must have been something important about this trip. Mark doesn't tell us exactly why he went. On a mission, on a retreat, we're not sure. And despite Jesus' efforts to keep a low profile, someone finds him. A woman locates Jesus and has a need. Her, quote, little daughter, and I think this is important later on, her little daughter, was possessed by an unclean spirit or uh, synonymously an impure spirit or an evil spirit in the gospels. And the woman somehow had heard that Jesus was in the area and she must have known that Jesus had power over impure spirits and so she sought out Jesus and she found him and quote, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And then Jesus said what may be seemingly the harshest words in the gospels that come out of Jesus' mouth. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And there's no question on this. Jesus was referring to this woman and her little daughter as dogs. The Jews, the Jewish people, Jesus was a Jew, had a history of referring to non-Jewish people, Gentiles, pagans, as dogs with derision. And yes, it was a derogatory term in all of its ways, absolutely. And this is just how things were in their culture, in their history. And we're going to be asked to think about our own culture and history and identity in a moment and through this. However, there was and there is in the Greek language multiple words for dog. And the Jews had historically used in reference to non-Jews a word that meant stray dog, rabid dog, mongrel dog, nasty dog, street dog, dirty dog. But here, Jesus uses another word for dog which the lexicons translate as little dog or domesticated dog or puppy, like the dogs that you and I have in our homes that we call our pets that are even parts of our families. The children in Jesus' little parable are the Jewish people. His ministry is first... Uh, It was still first to the Jewish people, and this is consistent throughout the New Testament and not just in the Gospels. On Friday morning, a group of men and I are going through the book of Romans, and the theme or the thesis verse for Romans is chapter 1, verse 16, which goes like this. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. Jesus' ministry was first to the Jews, First to the Jewish people, there were God, they were God's original chosen people, covenant people, but the gospel is also very much for Gentiles. And the woman picks up on Jesus' words, his word choice, his selection. She knows the big picture. She knows that they, her people, were dogs to the Jewish people. But she picks up on Jesus' little tweak She understands that the prophet, healer, rabbi, teacher, evangelist is saying something slightly and significantly different. And so she replies, Lord, even the little dogs, even the puppies, the family pets under the table eat the children's crumbs, yes? And with those words exhibits humility and submission to Jesus, but also this boldness and this confidence, persistence, even faith, though the word faith doesn't show up in any part of either one of these stories. And so Jesus replies, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. No touching, no magic words, It just happens. Jesus wills it. He approves it. It happens. It's done. And the woman went home, quote, and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone, dismissed, eradicated forever. And then Mark tells us that Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, and he headed to a city called Sidon. Sometimes we hear in the Scriptures those words together, Tyre and Sidon, which was and is another 25 miles up the coast, Jesus still walking. Why does he go that way? Maybe to avoid people. Maybe because he doesn't want the attention, but he goes way out of his way. We don't really pick that up unless we know the geography, but uh, Mark's original readers would have known. He's going up out of his way, and then Mark says he comes down into the Decapolis, back to the area of Galilee on the other side and to the area of the Decapolis that's mostly non-Jews, maybe a few Jews along the coast people who knew the god of the jewish people and we know this because you remember back in mark 5 jesus casts out a demon or demons out of a man who was possessed and who acted erratically and lived among the tombs and god uh, jesus cast these 2000 or so demons into pigs who went off who threw themselves off of a cliff afterwards and they're in, in the region of the Decapolis, some people also find Jesus. Jesus doesn't seem to be looking for them. And as in the second chapter of Mark's gospel, some people brought to Jesus a man with physical disabilities, a condition. In chapter two, it was a man who could not walk here. At the end of chapter seven, it is a man who cannot hear and who partly maybe cannot hear because he could not speak or he could not speak because he could not hear. Because he could not hear, because he was deaf, his words didn't form well. He didn't have that ability. He couldn't connect. People couldn't understand what he was saying. And these people, maybe his friends, bring him to Jesus just like in Mark 2. Some friends lower a man through the roof to get to Jesus, the man who could not walk. And these men, people, friends, hear ask Jesus to put his hands on the man and so heal him. And again, seeming to want to keep a low profile, maybe he doesn't want his ministry to be known for all of these great healings. Maybe he doesn't want to be known simply as someone who heals physically. Maybe he doesn't want to be a sideshow or a circus. Maybe his time has not yet come. It is coming, but maybe it's not. Jesus takes the man away to a private space. And there in that private space, Alone, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. So no doctor, no healer during our time would ever do anything like this. Crazy, right? If you went to the doctor and I'm said, I'm having hearing, my, my, I'm having hearing trouble. Is the doctor gonna do this to you? Is he gonna open? Is he gonna touch your tongue with his hands? Not during the COVID, not any time are you gonna get that. But think context. Think Jesus, if you went to an ear, nose, and throat doctor with any kind of issue, he's putting an otoscope in your ear. He's getting out the tongue depressor and putting it on your tongue and saying, Say, ah. The doctor today is going to do what's contextually appropriate. Jesus does what's contextually appropriate. And then he says to the man and to anyone who's listening, what he's going to do, just like a doctor is going to say to you, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I think. Here's what's about to happen. And so Jesus exclaims, a which means be opened, just so that everyone knows that what's about to happen isn't an accident. It's not random, nor is it superstitious. Jesus is doing, and he wants people to know what he is doing, and, it, and that it is him doing. Be opened, and this, And at this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened. He began to speak plainly. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, and how ridiculous is that, that this man who for some length of time has not been able to speak or at least speak clearly or a way that people can understand this, how could he not? And he probably does, and certainly other people do. And that's just part of the story throughout the Gospel of Mark up to this point. Jesus wants to keep a low profile. And people can't help but be amazed. Amazed and astonished over and over and over again in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus told them not to say anything, and they did. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has healed someone of a physical ailment. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has cast a demon out of someone in Mark's gospel. In fact, Mark makes it sound like Jesus' activities like this were very common. It's almost like sickness disappeared from Galilee, and people were so broadly healed that if we had a broader history of Galilee, if we went to citydata.org, first century, plugged it in, Galilee, we would see all of these people being healed, hospitals sort of being emptied because of this massive work. But this is not a really new thing for Jesus in one sense, not the healing, maybe not even the way that he healed, not the casting out of demons or uh, the way that Jesus cast out demons. So why does Mark put this here? What's unique about what's going on here? a couple of things maybe, and we think these two stories go together. Because at the end and at the beginning, Jesus wants to keep a low profile. You remember earlier on, we've talked about this as the messianic secret. Kind of a mystery to scholars about why Jesus wants to keep a lid on at least the early part of his work. We're not really sure, but these serve as bookends or brackets to this passage. At the end of the second passage about the man in the Decapolis, And at the beginning of the story about the woman in Tyre and Sidon. So what's really important about what's going on here? Well, Jesus has interacted with women and healed women before. We've seen Jesus care for people's children in particular already in Mark's gospel. That's not especially new. Jesus has a soft place in his heart for those who are broken and for their children, their loved ones. What is new? What may be most unique about these two stories that we and Mark seems to hold together might be in the first one this. Jesus travels intentionally a long way to a place called Tyre. Mark tells us that he encounters a woman who was Greek, that she was from Syrophoenicia, uh, Syria being the bigger area, Phoenicia being the more regional area, Tyre being the city, Greek probably being more her culture, identifying her as a non-believer, a Gentile, a pagan, than her ethnicity. But all of these things are redundant and superfluous because that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus has gone to Tyre. And so anyone who would be there would be these things. And so what Mark is doing is emphasizing and reemphasizing emphasizing What's important about this woman for the story? The people of Tyre had all kinds of resources. a port city, they sucked the resources out of the more rural areas of Galilee. So the people of Galilee didn't have and weren't being paid for their resources, adequate money to live on. The people of Tyre looked down on the people of Israel and Galilee the people of Galilee resented the people of Tyre. Really important. They resented those people. Who do you resent? Jesus walks 35 miles to be with those people. And it is that woman in Tyre, a Greek, Phoenician, Syrian. The same Syria that we talk about today. The same Syria that's gone through years of civil war. A quarter of their population displaced. Most of the, city, the country bombed out and in poverty. The same Syria. Jesus walks 35 miles. And then even farther to get back to his home later on. Why? Why? to show that God's love is for all people and that he models what he later tells his disciples to do, to love all people unconditionally, to love all people unconditionally. Then he goes all the way around the world in some ways for him, walking. This is, it, it happens like this in Mark, as so much else happens like this in Mark's gospel but he's walking for days to get the Decapolis to an area where people are unclean, unclean. And there gladly heals another person who is not a Jew, likely, who is a foreigner, but closer in, and who is unclean, and he brings them in. Our third value, Jeff's got it up there on the screen, is to advance God's purposes globally. And I think in this story, that all seems to happen in sort of the biblical area. We see a call and a going first from Jesus and then a call for us to not be content with loving our neighbors, but to advance the gospel around the known world to the farthest reaches of our own orbits whatever those may be, and however those may be. And to do so in a way that loves people unconditionally. We don't just love the people right around us unconditionally, but we love those far beyond and around the world unconditionally. And we don't always do missions that way. You know that there are some dirt all over the history of missions by the church. Loving people our way, coercing people, forcing people into certain frameworks. Jesus calls us to love all people in the way that they need to be loved all around the world unconditionally. And when we do that, and as we do those things in Jesus' way, including in our lives a global component— I believe we grow spiritually, or such is the result of spiritual growth. You can go at it either way. But as we do those things, we grow spiritually, or we do those things because we have. Are you with me? So I'm going to read something that's long and hard to follow. Uh, There's a copy of it posted on our Facebook page if you'd like to read it or digest it a little bit more afterwards. But this is uh, from a book called Stages of Faith by James Fowler where he quotes uh, someone named Kenneth Kiniston who was a Rhodes Scholar, went on to get his PhD at Oxford University, became a social psychologist, taught at Harvard, Yale, MIT. And he writes this about Mature faith. Persons best described by bracket, spiritual maturity typically exhibit qualities that shake our usual criteria of normalcy. Their heedlessness to self-preservation. In other words, Jesus' denial of self. And the vividness of their taste and feel for transcendent moral and religious actuality give their actions and words an extraordinary and an unpredictable quality in their devotion to universalizing compassion. They may offend our parochial perceptions of justice in their penetration through the obsession, uh, our obsession, with survival, security, and significance. They threaten our measured standards of righteousness and goodness and prudence. Their enlarged visions of universal community, one anotherness, disclose the partialness of our tribes and pseudo species. And their leadership initiatives, often involving strategies of nonviolent suffering and ultimate respect for being, constitute affronts to our usual notions of relevance. It is little wonder that persons best described by this stage of spiritual growth and maturity so frequently become martyrs for the visions they incarnate. I know there's a lot to digest. You can uh, read it if you want on our website. And so in writing and thinking this past week the church has a problem the church has had a problem the church in the United States the church of a Christian country every time July 4th rolls around there's conversation about whether or not we're a Christian country yes absolutely of course we're a Christian country it's right there in the founding documents it's right there in our constitution it's right there in the amendments Like the one that says, people whose skin is black or dark or from Africa, equal about three-fifths of a person. Have you read the Declaration of Independence lately? One of our founding documents. I try uh, to remember each year to encourage my kids, to read through the declaration of independence around july 4th and so i often forget but sometimes we get to it but the last of the reasons given for the declaration of independence talks with some scorn about the native american people about the indians about the savages who already inhabited the land while this group of northern european folks are declaring their independence From a domineering king and kingdom are at the same time doing the same to others we need to look within at the ways that we love or don't love unconditionally people who are different than us jesus explicitly models this in the gospels and here subtly in the gospel of mark We must appreciate the people that he must have been on an intentional mission to because people don't randomly walk 35 and then another 25 and then another 50 miles for no purpose at all. People weren't looking for exercise or to get in their steps back then, right? Nobody's got a Fitbit. There's something else, something bigger, something greater, something grander going on, and it is Jesus widening, the world's knowledge of God's love. In the passage of scripture that we read last week, uh, chapter seven, verses one through 23, Jesus does a number of things. First, the religious people come down from uh, Jerusalem and notice that his disciples aren't washing their hands like they're supposed to wash their hands according to the cleanliness laws and their favorite rules of religion. And instead are just going ahead and eating without going through those ceremonial cleansing processes. They love religion. They love tradition. They love laws. And Jesus says, eat away, brothers. Eat away, disciples. Liberating them from the constraints of religion. And along the way in that passage later on, Jesus says, don't you know that all food is clean? All food is clean for you to eat. He declares in the first half of chapter seven that all food is clean, and now in the second half of chapter seven, he declares that all people are clean. All people are clean. All people are worthy of God's love. And I'm gonna leave it there this morning for you to figure out God's word to you and what God may be speaking to you about who the unclean people may be in your life, in your world, in the church, in your heart, and who God is calling you to love without condition. Here in this church, in your neighborhood, in your community, all around the world, Jesus goes to people that his people despised, and he heals. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the gospel I signed up for. That's the king and the Messiah that I want to follow. He is the one who can save. He is the one who does save. He is the one, as Keniston says, who can bring about us a true community on earth with universal compassion, love for all people, no strings attached. May this be so. Let's pray. God, as Kristen prayed earlier, we confess our sin and our sinfulness, our distorted images and ideas of who you are and how the world's supposed to be and what we're called to do and who we are. Thank you that you never give up on us, that you're always coming out to us. We think we're looking for you, but you're seeking us. You're taking initiative and you're ready to heal and redeem and put back together and save. We thank you for that. Help us to make ourselves available to you. Give us the confidence, the boldness, the faith, the humility of the woman entire. Bless our community, bless our church, bless the world. In Jesus' name, amen.